there's a beautiful quote from Rumi, who was a Sufi poet. And it, the quote goes, you are not a drop in the ocean. You are the ocean in a drop. And what this signifies to me is that absolutely everyone has great potential, but you just have to unlock it with your own self-belief. You have everything that you need within you to get to where you want to, but you just have to know it. Hi, and welcome to Unlimited, the podcast that promotes the voice and the vision of inspiring women from Dubai and beyond to challenge stereotypes, raise awareness and drive change. I'm your host, Daniela Rossi, and for this new episode, I'm honored to introduce you to Mehwish Ayub. With over 15 years of investment experience, Mehwish is a senior investment strategist at State Street Global Advisors and is a regular markets guest on Bloomberg and CNBC. As a working mom in a male-dominated sector, Mavish is heavily involved with diversity and inclusion initiatives and is an ambassador for Reboot, which looks to enhance the dialogue on race and ethnicity within financial services. Hi Mavish and welcome to Unlimited. How do you do? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very honored to be here, Daniela. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on board. And as we record this interview today, it's actually International Women's Day. A day that I don't like to celebrate and promote uh, particularly because what I chose to do with Unlimited is to uh, promote the voice and the vision of uh, inspiring women like yourself, uh, as we're doing today, but every day. So it's just another ordinary day, but somehow this interview has uh, that additional flavor and additional um, power, let's say. But um, you're probably out of uh, another sleepless night with your three years old girl. And um, somehow you're always impeccable on top of the game to deliver the latest financial news on Bloomberg. How do you manage to do it all? Tell us what you do. And most importantly, how do you do it? Thank you, Daniela. So you're absolutely right. I think when you have children under the age of five, the timing for any of these type of commitments is almost never right. So, you know, in my view, balance is very important in terms of work-life balance and preparation is, is also very important. So, you know, if I'm aware that I have, whether it's an interview or another external commitment, such as a meeting with a client, and I'm aware of it at some point in the week, then I actually do start preparing for it earlier. And this allows for these kind of unexpected situations where, or disruptions where you have sleepless nights, where you have sickness, where you've actually done some element of the preparation before. Having said that, still, it is always a tough gig. I mean, you know, people say that I'm, you know, quite calm and collected on the interviews, but I... I I am nervous beforehand. I just think that the preparation helps. And the fact is that I do enjoy the challenge. And as I've done more and more of the interviews, I've become uh, more at ease. So regardless of what's happened the night before, it tends to have less of an impact now on, on what I'm going to say. I think something really important, actually, whenever you have public speaking commitments, particularly when it comes to sort of live television, is an element of confidence. I think a lot of the material I know anyway is just this, if I'm in the right mindset, that I know what I need to talk about, I can bridge questions appropriately, I can take, you know, those tough questions. That, I think, takes me 75% of the way there. And the 25% is that just additional boost of confidence in the preparation. And, and that is some advice that I give to 
everyone that I've ever come across that, you know, struggles with presentations is prepare and practice. And you have to put yourself forward for the first one. You might not be perfect at it, but over time you will improve. And that's really how I've addressed these, these live TV interviews. I share the same approach. Uh, it's not about uh, going wing it, but not prepare. Pre uh, preparation makes it uh, makes it perfect. Um, as I was doing some of um, the research uh, about you, um, I was reading that on an article from the front page of the Financial News, where you recently addressed how it took you 15 years to meet a role model because too often you were the only female in the room, let alone the only Pakistani. Uh, how has your personal story influenced uh, your professional uh, journey and your commitment towards diversity and inclusion? So I would say that initially, you know, at the start of my career, I was just really super focused and really determined to just make it somewhere. And I was actually not very aware of actually that statistic and me being such a rarity in financial services. But over time, I kind of adopted a slightly different role um, at the organizations I was at. I realized I was a bit of a role model and I became a lot more aware once I was involved with the diversity and inclusion initiatives, particularly at State Street Global Advisors, of these issues. And most clear to me was actually when I was pregnant with my first child and navigating all of that you know, palaver. I mean, it was so stressful at times, whether it's breaking the news, whether it's Uh, how much time you need to take off, what impact it has on your career. Um, and, and that really made me aware that this is really the point where so many women drop out. And this is, you know, a, a really key, quite a key cause of some of the diversity statistics that we see when it comes to gender, uh, when it comes to sort of board level positions and particularly high level positions in financial services. But the, the impact it's had now is uh, particularly after I did the Bloomberg interviews and I've been um, sort of a lot more, um, I would say, uh, present in PR activities. I've had so many people reach out, so many people reach out, and it's been so lovely to see that. Um, and I can really see that just me representing women and women of colour on Bloomberg, on CNBC, at different CFA events, um, really does have an impact. Um, I get a lot of queries, I get a lot of... Um, sort of requests for career advice uh, but I know I can really see now that me just being up there mm -hmm. you know my focus is still to be very good at what I do but certainly much more as a role model so I'd say it's progressed from it's still a lot of focus but it's really a lot more awareness of the broader issues that we have and um, it's great to know that I'm essentially a role model you know the type that I didn't have for a long time when when I started my career. And certainly your role model for whoever's watching you um, through the news, but for your own daughters, right? First and foremost. Yeah, yes, exactly. And actually, you know, I'm glad you brought this up because this is, um, you know, something I think em employers don't really take account of. Parents are actually highly productive. So even though I had so, so much less responsibility prior to having my children, once I had them, once I was back at work, there was a very clear opportunity cost to working. The opportunity cost was not spending that time with my children. And so for me, it was not about working for the sake of it. It was about working to show them what they could become. And that mindset really improved my productivity to the point where I would say I put myself forward for things that I never did before. Um, and I realized very early on that children mimic their parents a lot. 
uh, and daughters mimic their mums a lot. And so if I want them to be, you know, future CEO or uh, future, you know, astronaut working at NASA, then we have to be the same. You know, we have to show them the path. Um, and so I think this is a really important thing to understand. Just because you're a parent doesn't necessarily mean that you're less productive. In fact, statistics show that you are more productive as a parent in terms of work output than prior to that, even though you have so much more time and so much less responsibility. I believe that something like a sense of commitment, sense of responsibility, accountability is not teachable. You cannot teach it, mm -hmm. but you just have to show it. The way you show it, the way we act, the way we behave at work, at home, it's the best way to then uh, allow our kids to progress and succeed in life. So what you're saying is absolutely um, true. And I like that you actually refer to parents and not only mothers, right? Talking about uh, diversity and inclusion. So it works both ways. No, absolutely. I think this is really important when we're going to, you know, sort of change the playing field is when it's all about parents. It's about fathers as well, you know, having access to parental leave so that they can bond with their children. So that when you come into the office, it's not just the mothers who are taking time off because they have to look after their children. It's the fathers as well. And then actually no one even raises an eyebrow. No one even questions what gender you are. You just understand that there is an underlying care and responsibility. And whether you're male or female, you have to take time off or you have to arrange your work around it. Um, in your experience, obviously working in the financial sector, there's a lot of talks about uh, gender pay gap and not as much talks on mother pay gap as we were talking about maternity. What are the implications that uh, being on maternity leave uh, brings to the table regarding the salary and the projection towards even the retirement pension plan? So I would say that you know, the, the, the key point behind all of this is whether you stay in employment or not. So with the assumption that you stay in employment, when you do have this very important sort of time in your life, it's about being very clear cut. Like your rights, regardless of wherever you are, your rights are to have maternity leave, to have paid maternity leave, and for it not to impact for example, if you have an element of discretionary bonus and for it not to really impact your career trajectory. We know in actual fact that doesn't happen for everyone. Um, but in some firms, you know, I've seen instances of where individuals who have been promoted whilst on maternity leave, right, mm -hmm. where the firm is really indicating that regardless of this, you know, change in circumstance, we're still acknowledging the skills and the value that this individual brings to the table. In, in other instances, I think there are examples where, you know, you are quite severely penalised. And I think women should understand that they're so highly in demand now in more senior positions. There was a great McKinsey report in 2022, which was looking at data, I think, over seven years um, and kind of uh, reviewing the the workplace environment for women and women of colour um, in, in US corporate America, um, in, in corporate America. And it was incredible that the number of senior women that are leaving their firms for these kind of kinds of reasons. So A, because they're ambitious and it's not really being acknowledged. 
Secondly, because they're actually spending a lot of time on diversity and inclusion and bringing the younger generation up and it's not really being rewarded. And third, because they need this empathy, they need this understanding, and they're in a position to demand it. So, you know, it's not all rosy. It does depend on which firm you're at and how it's managed. But if you really feel like you're being discriminated against, don't be shy to really consider other roles because I think women should know that, you know, whatever position you are, you have a right to be ambitious, you have a right to live your life the way that you want, and you have a right to move on if the current firm environment is not right for you. And that is exactly what that report was showing. And this is a real problem for companies that have, you know, very clear diversity, you know, I wouldn't say quotas, but targets. And... You know, there was some crazy statistic in the report for every woman that's being um, promoted to director level, two other directors are leaving. Like, they're not able... So, so firms have to change mm-hmm. if they want to have cognitive diversity and have more women at senior levels. Tell me more about cognitive diversity, please. Mm. Yeah, I think I think this is, you know, interesting. We assume that it comes with just having you know, a more diverse um, sort of employee group. Um, But the whole point of trying to have more gender equality, more equality when it comes to race and ethnicity is to really have this cognitive diversity, people who think things in a a different way. Um, There are many examples in financial services, particularly when you think about, you know, the the prop traders that went bust in some of the large investment banks is they essentially had the same type of people. No one was really checking each other. There was an issue with, you know, um, accountability and, and, and checks and balances, but there was also an issue of groupthink where uh, the same type of uh, trade was pushed forward. Um, and really, in, in that instances, a lot of the time, if you look at a lot of the key mistakes that have been made over time, if there was someone who questioned, you know, the integrity of that trade, you know, all that, um, all that situation, you might have had a different outcome. So that, in my view, is one way of describing how cognitive diversity helps. And naturally, the more different types of people that you have from different backgrounds, um, different races and ethnicities, different genders, um, I think that contributes to having a more diverse pool. And there are statistics around companies that have more diverse boards have better performance over the longer term. So I believe that it could be the next step beyond diversity, inclusion, cognitive diversity. It's really what would allow us to have a proper, equal uh, workspace, right, where everybody has a voice and is uh, recognized for it and the opinion does matter. Exactly. So Mm. I suppose the whole... The whole idea as to why we have diversity and inclusion is to achieve that cognitive diversity. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, the ultimate goal. That's beautifully said. Uh, reality, though, is that we still face uh, uh, unconscious bias, right, day in, day out, yes. <laughs> to, to this point. I noticed, and I won't share the, the name of the flat platform, but uh, I noticed an interesting typo on a leading financial platforms when <laughs> um, regarding one of your interviews, and it stated, listen up and uh, try to find the mistake Mavish Ayub, senior strategy at State Street Global Advisor, discusses his views for global markets and investment strategy. He speaks on da-da-da-da-da. So what does this tell us in terms of unconscious bias about uh, this sector and within the sector itself? 
So I have to say that has happened to me quite a lot in my career, yeah. not just in terms of commentary on interviews, but mm. even if I've reached out to someone and they've assumed I'm male, so that might actually have a little bit to do with my name, name. Okay. and that people can't distill from my name whether I'm male or female. It also could be alluding to the fact that I'm quite a rarity in terms of not just being female, but a female of colour. Mm. And so the assumption is potentially that I, I would be male rather than female because there's so few of mm -hmm. me out there, mm -hmm. if you see what I mean. Um, but but I do want to say that is also down to the name. Let's talk about women and money because you said that it's few of um, few of you in the field, but I believe it's also few of us really taking. Uh, a, an interest approach towards managing money, right? So not only from the financial uh, industry, but in managing our own uh, uh, money. Um, themes of equality obviously reinforce the importance of uh, financial independence. Why it's important to take control of our own finances? Yeah, this is, this is super important. I was actually just reading um, into this and the truth is, you know, Whatever finances you have, whether it's inheritance, whether it's savings on the side, over time, that, those can give you some element of independence. And life is very unexpected. You know, at the moment, whatever your situation is, might not be your situation in 10 years' time. You might need that money invested to save for a rainy day, to be able to retire with dignity, to be able to leave inheritance behind. And I think the key thing is to not assume that your current situation will continue to exist in the future. And of course, it's like deeply personal. Everyone has these situations. But often when women are not thinking about their own finances is when they're fully dependent on somebody else, typically their partner. And that situation might not exist. So it's really important to put money aside. And essentially, money not only gives you independence, money is power. So why be powerless? Why would anyone in this day and age want to be powerless? You have any ability to put cash aside, even if it's money from your partner, right? Let's, we're in Dubai. Let's talk about the Dubai yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. Even if it's money from your partner, the money for a handbag could go towards something else. It's like whatever savings is, and this is not just about savings, it's the savings and utilizing that cash in the longer term for a better reason. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I um, saw a doctor recently who asked me what my profession was, and I told her I was in finance. And she said, oh, my brother recently told me to buy a crypto and buy um, Alibaba, which is one Chinese internet stock. So then the advice that these women do get, this is, a, you know, somebody who's a qualified doctor is so horrific in terms of diversification. She has exposure just to China, just to the internet, and just to one stock, right? And then she has exposure to crypto. We all know what happened to those, mm -hmm. those two areas in, in finances that all went down. So I suggested very simply that she looked at broad-based equity indices. You don't need to pay a lot for them. You can think about it in terms of an ETF. But it's really important. You don't have to be invested just in China. If something happens in China, you could have exposure to the US. If something happens to technology, you could have exposure to healthcare. And it's very simple, but even those that do have money and are in you know, professional careers, um, are still investing you know, very, very poorly. So you know, I would say the three key things to think about is yes. diversification is important. You can start off with very, very simple allocations to passive, passive instrument, meaning just 
you know, following what the stock market does, not really having an active bet because they tend to be more expensive and also get some advice. So now with the rise of fintech, there are lots of kind of robo advisory firms where you can go in online, you can plug in how much are you saving on a monthly basis? What's your risk tolerance? Are you low risk or you high risk? What's your time frame for when you want to extract this money? And they will calculate for you in terms of what weights and what asset classes you should essentially invest your money. So get advice, be diversified, and don't, you don't necessarily have to pay active fees. But again, as this example, owning one Chinese internet stock and or crypto is not the way to invest. Mm -hmm. but this is indicative of the very poor advice that you know women are getting about how to manage their finances. Is there a minimum amount that um, is needed to get started towards the investment uh, uh, journey? No, mm. no. So actually, this is a, a bit of a misconception. On yeah. the retail side, yeah. the products are designed to accept very small amounts. Obviously, it makes sense from a transaction you know, cost perspective that you try and do your trades in bulk. But the, be the better thing is just to save and invest that because at the end of the day, if you've paid like 20 basis points to get in at one point, that's for a very active or emerging market equity, for example. Um, but emerging, but equity has gone up 5% over that six-month period, you've still benefited. The point is to put aside a little bit on a monthly, quarterly basis and invest that continuously so you're benefiting from that sort of compounding rate of return and generally rising equity markets over the longer term. Because we both have um, young daughters, mine are slightly older than yours, and um, I've actually been reflecting at home that uh, I don't have any financial literacy, but I would want them to be knowledgeable, to know how to appreciate money, to start saving. Um, how do we do it? Are there any tools available for them? I don't think schools are addressing the topic particularly. What can we do to educate uh, the youth towards money? So actually, I think saving and working is really important. Mm. So it might not be a physical account, it might be an online account. Mm. And having the value of money, right? So um, my my youngest daughter, I found, we are obviously in quite a nanny culture in, in the mm. Middle East. And I started, you know, paying her a little bit to do the cleaning up. Mm. And she got the value of money. Mm. So that when she went to the shop, she understood, well, actually, this costs this much. If she's jumping on the sofa and I tell her how much this sofa costs and how many, you know, of how much of her birthdays, her future birthdays, birthday treats and parties will go into replacing this sofa if she breaks mm -hmm. it. So there's that concept from a very young age. But I do think savings is important. And I think just getting them into work early on, whatever it is. Is, is quite important. As they grow older, I think this is an issue not just for girls, but broadly for children, that they don't have a lot of financial literacy. So there are now websites, I think there's Elvest, SheInvest, if they have an interest, children can go online and they can access these websites and get free webinars. That's probably at a later stage. But it's interesting that you bring this up. I was on holiday recently and I just happened to come across this screen of like a teenage boy and he was looking at stocks. So this this knowledge is required. And I think there's a lot to do with the 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 crypto hype, you mm -hmm. know, the easy, easy money making within finances that encourages individuals to go into it, which is fine as long as they have the right approach and the yeah. right guidance towards yeah. it. So I think for us as parents, if we don't know enough, 
the idea is to try and source the education, you know, the websites that might help us and our children and navigate that journey together. But from a very young age, I started working in retail. I think it was age 15. I learned the concept of saving and I learned the value of money. This mm. is, I think it's very difficult in this day and age when everything is digitized, but still, um, I think this is something that, that is the absolute base of what children need to understand. Very, very true. Um, we briefly addressed the topic of maternity leave. Yeah. Um, can you take us back to your times, uh, both times, where you went on maternity leave, how you approached? I know you like to do things a little bit different from the norm. So how did you break the news to your boss about uh, uh, the pregnancy? And um, how did you... Um, set, uh, how do you set up your return to work? Okay, thank you. No, I think, so this is something I haven't really spoken to anyone about, and I think it's a bit of a taboo subject, but it's so important to, to share our stories on this. I did something highly unusual. I resigned from one firm, and then I found out I was pregnant, and I joined another firm. So what this meant is I basically forewent my maternity pay. I'm still entitled to maternity leave, but I forwent my maternity pay. The reason why I made that decision is because I had a view that the firm that I was at was not particularly good when it came to uh, carer responsibilities. And I saw some very talented um, women treated poorly um, when they had children. I decided this was not going to be the place for me. So I then based my move and my decision to shift elsewhere a lot around you know, if I was thinking about the family, how would I navigate it somewhere else? So I took quite a risky decision because people often like to stay where they are. They're like, you know, better the devil you know and try to navigate this environment. So, I, I, so AI also decided that I would prefer to have a nanny, but I needed to be able to afford a nanny. So I jumped ship for a more senior position, uh, more, more pay, and what I envision would be a better environment and again I would like to say that you know we plan a lot in our lives for different situations I think sometimes we don't plan enough we don't understand the culture that we're operating in that we're professionally in and whether that is conducive to having a family and there is again no harm in recognizing that and and jumping elsewhere but the time that I did it was very unusual then when I joined I had this absolutely great manager. And I think this makes a really, really big difference because often we have great policies at the top and they don't filter down to the individual manager. In this instance, my manager was superb. And I actually took some advice from some senior uh, other women who'd had children at the firm. Though they were the some of the reasons that I actually joined this firm. And I said, well, listen, I'm pregnant. I didn't realize when I joined. How do I break the news to my manager? And I was advised to actually wait five months until I cannot be hidden and then break the news. But, you know, I realized that this would give me a lot of stress mm -hmm. because I had morning sickness and I was in a new job. And I actually decided to go against that. And within five weeks of joining, I told my manager. Mm -hmm. Risky. And God bless he, it was very risky again. Mm. God bless he was amazing. Mm. Right? And again, I have to say, you have to judge your manager. You have to judge whether in this kind of situation, I thought, well, this is a relationship, a manager-employee relationship that I want to start out on the concept of trust. So I'm going to trust him with this information. He didn't share it with the rest of the team, but he understood 
when I was, if I was feeling sick, if I was off for my, for my checkups. And this took a huge amount of pressure off me. Now, if I contrast that with a lot of my friends and what they did, they actually followed the advice of the senior individual at the firm who told me to wait till you're five months. They were stressed. They were trying to hide their morning sickness. They were trying to hide their shape. And it was just an enormous amount of stress. So again, I would just like to say that, look, it's not even easy getting pregnant nowadays. You know, a lot of women leave it very late. Why stress yourself over it? If the firm is understanding, better to confide in your manager and let them know what's going on. If you think your manager is going to be understanding. And if they're not, then maybe you're in the wrong place. Right? But again, there are options afterwards of moving around within the organization or outside. So um, again, I did something very risky and it worked out well for me, but I put my own health and my own, you know, I put my mine and my baby's health first and hence I took that decision. The second time round, again, I did something quite similar. I confided in my manager, but by that I had, you know, it was a well-trodden path for me um, and it was a couple of years in and I had established myself very well at the organization. So I really didn't have any issues. I was also very heavily involved in diversity inclusion. I was giving similar advice to, you know, other women in investment at the firm as to how to manage the situation. So I didn't really have an issue second time around. Yeah, yeah. I shared a very similar experience uh, in uh, in London when I first arrived. I was uh, hardly speaking English, and I was pregnant. Uh, I discovered while I was going through the recruitment process, I shared the news uh, to the headhunter. It was the first one, to, a guy. It was the first one to say, "Don't say anything." But I chose uh, instead to open up the, the conversation and the dialogue with my uh, future employer, the, my, my boss, because they couldn't accept to start a new work relationship based on uh, a lie or a white lie. Uh, so you have to build trust, and I, I felt that otherwise it would have been a breach of trust. Result is that uh, he was extremely uh, open-minded and accepting. Ironically, I was hired for a maternity uh, replacement and I was pregnant myself, so it was really absurd. Uh, but I think it worked both ways. It worked for me because I joined knowing that that company was very inclusive and open-minded and welcoming. And obviously, I promised them that I would have been back after six months full-time and I stayed. I devoted my soul to them because I knew how welcoming they yeah. were. So I think it works not only for the employee but for the employer as well. We're still in touch with uh, this incredible line manager, although he's now in Japan. And this means how relationship uh, means more than policies at times. It, that's so beautifully said. Mm. And it's, it's about that loyalty you get mm. From treating, and again, I want to say parents. I mean, I'm giving a mother's perspective. You know, on my desk at times, there were other parents, there were fathers that were incredibly stressed. Their children were very sick. And it's just, you know, it's about that empathy and that understanding and the loyalty you get, right? I think people underestimate this in this environment where particularly women, you know, in senior levels are in demand. How do you gain that loyalty and productivity? You get it from having the right policies that help them flourish. Yeah. Yeah. I love your wisdom. <laughs> I love your expertise across all levels. Um, which leads me to ask you what I call my paramount question. What does unlimited mean to you? 
Okay, so I thought about this a little bit. And there's a beautiful quote from Rumi, who was a Sufi poet. And it, the quote goes, you are not a drop in the ocean. You are the ocean in a drop. And what this signifies to me is that absolutely everyone has great potential, but you just have to unlock it with your own self-belief. You have everything that you need within you to get to where you want to, but you just have to know it. And I think why I'm ending on this, because I have noticed my observation over the almost 20 years now of me working is everyone suffers from this lack of self-belief, lack of self-worth, and sometimes particularly women because of this different situations that, that they are put in, whether it's the role of a mother, whether it's taking the maternity leave, when they try coming back to work, it's this concept, am I good enough? I hear this far too often, am I good enough? The truth is you are good enough, everyone is good enough, but you have to believe it and then others will too. I love it. And that's unlimited. Thank you so much, Mawish, for sharing your story, sharing your perspective, sharing with us your personal journey and your professional journey. It's been really uh, meaningful, impactful, and I loved it. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed discovering the person, the story, and the vision of our unlimited guest. Now it's your turn. Please uh, share your comments or questions on uh, unlimited social media pages. You can find me on Instagram at unlimited.me or LinkedIn at unlimited platform. And don't forget to leave a review. I'd love to hear from you. Grazie.